One of the reasons I really hated missing last week was because we had the week before just begun a new series that we're going to actually do through the uh, Thanksgiving, and that is by looking at this idea of by faith, whatever. In other words, whatever comes our way, whatever happens, that we would be, as people of God, to be prepared to engage it by faith. And this study is going to be through Hebrews 11. When we think Hebrews 11, if you've grown up hearing the Bible, you probably have heard it as the hall of faith. And we're not going to call it that here because when we call it the hall of faith, it puts the spotlight of the individual. And we don't want the spotlight to be on people. We want the spotlight to be on the God we place our faith in. Because the power of faith is not in the amount of faith that we have or even in the person who has the faith. The power of faith is in the object that that faith is placed in. And so what I want you to think about Hebrews 11 is not the hall of faith, but rather the tribute to the timeless trustworthiness of our great God. In other words, that story after story, man after man, person after person after, through Hebrews 11 is simply giving testimony to the fact that whatever comes your way, there is a God who is trustworthy that you can place your faith in. Whether you're here, whether you're in Senegal, whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you have kids, whether you aren't able to have kids, There is a trustworthy God that you can put your faith in. That's what I hope. I hope when we come to Thanksgiving and the end of Hebrews 11, your view of God and his greatness will be lifted up in your thinking. So the reason Hebrews 11 was written was this. He says at the end of chapter 10, therefore, to those readers, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance. Now, let me pause. Why is he concerned they're going to throw away their confidence? Why does he say they need endurance? What's happening in their life at that point? Yeah, there is, according to Hebrews 10, so we understand Hebrews 11 by reading the end of Hebrews 10. They are suffering, and the scripture says the people they love are suffering. And suffering has a way of causing us to begin to doubt God, to throw away the confidence. 18 years in a desert of 120 degrees and nobody yet following Jesus has a way of causing you to go, is this worth it? Sending money to people and that seeing results has a way of saying, is this worth it? Do you understand what I mean? So they're suffering and the writer goes, they may walk away. They need to endure. You may be suffering chronic pain. And in the midst of chronic pain, you think, God's never going to deliver me. There's no hope. And you begin to lose sight of the trustworthiness of God. Hebrews 11 is written for people who are in need of endurance. So he prays and he says to him, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. See, the promise has been given, but it hasn't been realized yet. And he's saying, hang on. 
for yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live how? By faith. In other words, there are often times in life where we read the word of God and what is said and what is promised is known, but it's not yet realized. And in that gap, how are we called to live? By faith. Because he is simply saying, those who suffer as Christ followers, this is why he's writing it, that will not throw away their confidence. You don't need to write this down, just capture it. We are studying Hebrews 11 because of Hebrews 10 type people. That they wouldn't throw away or shrink back, but have endurance. How? How? By faith. So he goes on. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So this is not in your message memo. This is a review. Four foundational truths about what faith is as we go through this chapter. First, faith is rooted in God's truth. And I say that to make sure that the picture on the front of your your message memo there doesn't give you the idea that faith is simply a blind leap. It's not a blind leap. It's a step into a direction that you may not yet see, but it's rooted in God's truth. It's not a blind leap of faith. There's nothing blind about it. It is in response to what God has said. That's faith. Second, faith is revealed by our actions. In other words, it's not simply intellectual assent. The scripture is very clear that those who say they believe but don't have actions corresponding that belief, that's not faith. That faith is dead is what the label scripture gives to it. Third, faith is measured in attendance. In other words, it's present or absent, not in size. Oftentimes we think or we wonder, will we have enough faith? Or do I need more faith? That's the way the disciples thought. When Jesus said, forgive, they said, well, we need more faith. And Jesus said, you don't need more faith. If you have this much faith, smaller than what you can see from this distance, a mustard seed size, that will be enough. How can that much faith be enough? Because this, the power of faith is not in faith. The power of faith is in the object that the faith is placed in. And so this much faith placed in a great, timeless, trustworthy God, that's enough faith. If you need a bunch of faith, that's indicative that you have a weak object you're trusting in. So Jesus says, you don't need more faith. You need what? Yeah, I hope you got it. I don't need more faith. I need faith more, more often, more frequently, more daily, more hourly. We too often, and we'll address this this morning, we too often think about faith in our past as opposed to faith in our current. After laying the foundation for these four foundations for faith, then the writer begins with the first individual to encourage Hebrews 10 suffering type people to endure. By looking at the first character, Hebrews 11, 4, Abel. By faith, Abel offered to God, what type of sacrifice? A better sacrifice than Cain. 
through which he, that is Abel, obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God is the one who gave him that testimony. God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he, Abel, is dead, he still speaks. In other words, this morning, Abel is long, long been dead, but he has something to say to us. Now, that verse is a commentary on a historical event recorded in Genesis. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to it, or I'll show it to you. This is Genesis 4. Let me read you the historical account that's being referenced in Hebrews 11:4. Genesis 4 says this. Now the man, that's Adam, had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I've gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of flocks. But Cain, well, what's a keeper of flocks? What would we call that? Shepherd. Cain was a tiller of the ground, a farmer. So it came about in the course of time that Cain, the farmer, brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, as a shepherd, brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So that's the commentary. That's the historical account of why the writer of Hebrews says Cain's offering was, what was the word? Better. It was a better one. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. So what we have is two brothers, Cain and Abel, but what they're actually doing, you'll see this morning, they're beginning two roads, two roads in which all of humanity who follows them will walk one of the two roads. You will, this morning, either be walking the road of Abel or you'll be walking the road of Cain. What do I mean by that? Well, let's go through the account. Cain was the farmer, Abel was the shepherd. As the farmer, Cain brought the fruit of the ground. As the shepherd, Abel brought the fat of the firstlings of the flock. That's not interpretation, that's simply observation. That's what the text says, okay? The farmer brought fruit of the ground, Abel brought fat of the firstlings, okay? So you write that down. Now, of Abel, Hebrews 11.4 said, his sacrifice was better than Cain's. The question is, why? What made it better? Well, there's a wide range of thought. Three ideas generally surface. Some people say what made Cain, or excuse me, Abel's better than Cain's was Cain's sacrifice was not a blood sacrifice. It wasn't an animal. It was of the fruit of the ground. And that makes sense if it's a sin offering because apart from the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. But it doesn't say he was bringing a sin offering. It simply said he was bringing an offering. And there are many offerings in the Old Testament that weren't animal sacrifices. There were grain sacrifices. So I get that, but I'm not sure. Others say, well, it's because Cain did not bring his best. And and the language seems to indicate there's a difference here. Cain brought what? Some of the fruit of the ground. Abel brought the 
firstlings and the fat portions, what would have considered to be the best of the best. But it doesn't say that's why the sacrifice was better. It simply says it was better. Others would say, well, it was because it was not from a pure heart. And his heart is revealed when God confronts him. We'll look at later. So which do you think? You got a vote here of the three. Do you think it was because it wasn't blood? Really? Okay. How many of you think it because it wasn't his best? Okay. So the vast majority of you then think because it wasn't from a pure heart. Wow. A bunch of abstainers. Don't be like that in November, people. <laughs> That's not why I did that, but... All right. So actually, this is interesting. Very few of you, though I'm sorry I can't see you in South, very few of you said, not blood. That's what most commentaries say. Some say, if you're choosing best. If I had to choose, I'd choose that one. Some would say, pure heart. But here's where I've settled. I've I worked hard to think, I've got to give them an answer. But here's the answer. The scripture does not really tell you which one it is. It simply says it was better. And it says one other thing. How was it offered? Go back, Hebrews 11.4. How, how was it offered? By faith. Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain. So, though I'm tempted to press one of those three, actually we're far better off to not press what we think and simply stay with what the text says. And the text says that which made it better was it was offered by faith. Meaning, what was true about Cain's sacrifice? We know it wasn't offered in faith. How do we know that? Because it says right in Hebrews 11:6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So when God was not pleased with what, Abel, what, excuse me, what Cain brought, it's indicative that regardless of whether it was blood, best, or pure heart, whatever, it wasn't by faith. Therefore, it wasn't pleasing to God. Abel's was by faith. And therefore, it was pleasing to God. Because Cain's was not by faith, what's God's response to it? Yeah, he rejects it. He doesn't have regard for it. He rejects it. But to Abel's, he accepts. And this is crucial. Because God testifies Abel is what because of this? Yes, did you? I hope you got that. That's why I emphasize it when we read it. God testifies, he gives Abel the testimony, he is righteous. But the text tells us Cain is, he's what? text says that he is angry. Abel gets the testimony of righteous. Cain gets the testimony of anger. Now, the text says 
Abel is long dead, but he's still speaking. Here's the question. What's he saying? This is more than just family drama. Though if there's drama in your family, you ought to take heart that there was drama in the very first, you know, kids brought drama. That's just life. <laughs> what, what, what is this guy? What, what's he saying? It tells us in the text. Yes, he is telling us this, that righteousness has always and only. Those are two very important words. Righteousness, God testifying of his gifts, that he is righteous. Righteousness has always and only been obtained how? Through faith. Through faith. Now, Don't miss why this would have spoken to Hebrews 10 type people. Because that's why Hebrews 11 was written. Because of Hebrews 10 type people. When did they start suffering? If you're open to Hebrews 11, go back. Verse uh, 32, I believe. When did they start suffering? Remember the former days when after being enlightened you endured a great conflict of sufferings. In other words, what happened? Yeah, enlightened means that their eyes were open to the gospel of salvation by grace through faith. And they were born again. And, and they went from not suffering and not being born again to being born again and suffering because of it. And what was happening to some of them? Imprisoned, taken, killed. Yes. Do you understand why Abel? I never connected this until this study this time. That Abel actually, who is he? He's the first martyr. He's the first one who died for his faith. And so he becomes the first encouragement to Hebrews 10 people who are suffering because of their faith that they endure like Abel. He's still speaking to them that righteousness is by faith. Don't shrink back even though it's that faith that is bringing suffering to you. Sometimes we think Old Testament, hmm, Old Testament law, New Testament grace and faith. The law never saved anybody. It wasn't given for that reason. Why was the law given? The law was given not to make you righteous, but to reveal how unrighteous you are. See, when people say, I want to read the Bible so I can learn how to be righteous. If you read your Bible, honestly, what you're going to discover is how unrighteous you are how desperately short you fall to what true righteousness is. And that was true Old Testament, New Testament. The law wasn't giving them righteousness. It was exposing their unrighteousness. Righteousness from Abel to today has always and only been obtained through faith. For them, it was faith in the principle of the substitutionary death. That Jesus came not to nullify, but to fulfill. They believed that though they were guilty, their guilt could be taken by the death of 
an animal. And Jesus came along and said, there are no more animals need to die. No priests need to continue to minister. I am going to give my life once and for all. I will be the priest who gives the ultimate final sacrifice of my own life, not so that your sin would be covered only, but so that your sin would be taken out of the way. It's always been by faith. And only by faith that we can be made righteous. And faith involves three essentials. First, and some of you will remember, it means I admit, by faith I admit, I am deserving of the wrath of God. As an essential part of placing faith in Jesus Christ. It's admitting, not (laughs) that not, More than I'm not perfect, it means admitting I'm deserving of God's wrath. Do you admit that today? Not I used to be deserving of God's wrath. I am today, based even on today. Your thoughts, your motives, your attitudes, based on today, I remain deserving of the wrath of God. Second essential, I believe. I believe what? I believe that Jesus took my punishment. That in the same way an animal sacrificed could cover my sin in a substitutionary way, that Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God, could take once and for all the punishment that I deserve placed on him taken out of the way. I believe that. And therefore, because faith is not simply an intellectual assent, I, the act of receiving it as a, for, as a gift, I receive forgiveness as a gift. All three of these are absolutely essential. I want to make sure that you understand. And I want you to ask yourself personally this question. Three of them. Do you admit, I've asked you, do you admit that you are deserving of the wrath of God? If you do, do you also believe that Christ took that punishment that you deserved and he took it upon himself on the cross? Do you receive that? That is how a person is born again, becomes in Christ. See, we use often, one of those runs off the track. Either we go, yeah, I I believe in Jesus, but we never really see ourselves deserving of the wrath of God. We recognize we're not perfect, but we think we're not that bad. Sometimes it's our arrogance, our pride, our thinking too highly of ourselves that keeps a person too smart, too good, too civil, too nice, to actually believe they're lost, deserving of the wrath of God. Or the flip side, you recognize, you know in your heart of hearts your unrighteousness, and you think, I could never, I could never see Jesus taking the punishment for that. I could see Jesus dying for people like Billy Graham and Mother Teresa, good people, but not for somebody like me. 
Some people think they're too good. Some people think they're too bad. And all of us, all of us are reluctant to receive a gift. We always think there's a catch. It can't be free. I have to pay it back. There's a catch to it. Faith, saving faith, admits, believes, receives. And I simply want to say, this hour, if you're not sure that you have been born again, you have questions about, what do you mean I'm deserving of the wrath of God? Or what do you mean that Jesus took the penalty? Or what do you mean that it's a gift simply received? Then come on up afterwards. If you're over in South, come on over. Or, or, or go to where we offer prayer and say, I have some questions. Fill out, take a card and say, I have some questions. Could you, could you talk with me about the, that gospel? I'm not sure I understand. But I... I don't want you to think, I'm getting my life together. I'm going to church. I'm trying harder. I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying a couple times a day now. Thinking that somehow you are getting back to God. You know what road that is? That's the road of Cain. That I can come to God on my terms, and as long as I'm sincere about the terms that I set, then he ought to accept me. And if, that, and if he won't, then, then who needs him? Isn't that much of our culture? It's not so much what you believe as long as you're sincere about it. Hey, that's not true. Every single person this morning is either on the road of Abel, trusting that Jesus has done for them what they couldn't do for themselves, or they are on the road of Cain thinking, no, I can come to God on my terms. There's a church that has begun in Senegal because three men now have acknowledged, I can't come to God on my terms. I can only come to God through Jesus. Have you? If you have questions, ask us. We'd love to dialogue with you. But it doesn't stop here. Abel speaks to us in another way. Faith, this is the second way. Faith is the only means through which you can live righteously. Now, just don't fill in the blank. Think about this. What Abel teaches us, even though he's dead, is that we can only obtain, become righteous through faith. But the scripture goes on to teach us that not only do we become righteous by faith, it's only by faith that we can live righteously. But we often foolishly think otherwise. Let me show you why I believe that. When Paul writes the believers in Galatia, they've heard the gospel and they received it. But he has a concern. Here's his concern. He says, this is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? And what's the answer to that question? Yeah, don't misunderstand. He's going, no one has ever been sufficient at keeping the law that God said, you're perfect, I will pour my spirit into you. All of us have fallen short. The only way the spirit of God comes into us is when we acknowledge 
admit we're deserving his wrath. We believe in Christ and we receive his forgiveness. When that happens, we are adopted and the spirit of God is poured into our hearts. Not by works, but by, by faith. And so many of you would say this morning, you have a story in your past of when you were born again by faith. They did as well. But watch what he says. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? In other words, by your own works. Are you? (laughs) Well, I'm trying to. This is his point. And I don't want you to miss. Because you may be thinking, why do I, you know, I know all this stuff. No, here's what is true for most of us. Look up here, please. Most of us, many of us, have a story of faith being present in our past. And if I said to you, tell me when you were born again, you could tell me a faith story. Not all of you, and that's why I'm, if you can't, then we want that to be part of your story. But most of us, many of us would have a faith story in our past. But if you went to lunch today with this question, or if you went to family group tonight with this question, how did you live by faith this past week? Crickets. You know, you've had these, these questions in family group, haven't you? You read the question and everybody's like, And then the person who always talks speaks up and tries to rescue. (laughs) I've been in that family group. I know. This is the way it works. But my question is, have we been foolish Galatians? In other words, why are we crickets? Why are we quiet? Why are we storyless about faith this past week when we actually do have a story of when faith began a relationship with God? Is it because we didn't have opportunity for faith this past week? (laughs) Well, let me just walk us through. Did you come across anybody unlovable this week? That was a faith opportunity, right? To love somebody even though you didn't feel like loving them. You have a kindness opportunity? You know, undeserved kindness. They were rude, but you could be kind. In traffic, you have one of those opportunities this week? (laughs) Did you, did you say to anybody this week, I've had it up to here enough. I'm done. <laughs> and poof, you blew up. And you raged with your mouth or your fist. Or with your keyboard. That was a faith opportunity, right? In other words, every single one of us had... It would it be a fair guess to say we had 30 faith opportunities every day this week? Would that be fair to say? An opportunity to speak, but then we chickened out, or we did speak. Or we, had, or we thought, wow, I need to confront that. That's not true. And we did, or, or we didn't. We had 30 faith opportunities a day. Is that too high for you? You want me to knock it down to 20? Give you, a, you had 140 opportunities this past week, but it's going to be crickets at family group. 
I don't know, you know, I, I didn't really have anything big happen this week. Why is it that we think we need faith at big moments? I didn't like lose my job. My back didn't go out. It was just a normal week. I don't need faith in a normal week. Now, none of us would say that, but it's just the way we would live. We don't need faith in normal weeks. We need faith in abnormal weeks. We need faith in big weeks. We need faith in big moments. We have dozens and dozens of faith moments every day. Why don't we have them? I'll tell you. Here's a couple of reasons. One, because living righteously is by faith as well, can only be by faith. And that means I must admit I'm impossibly weak to live righteously, and nobody wants to share how you're weak. <laughs> oh, I, say I, was, I had a faith opportunity because I was tempted to look at something. I ain't sharing that. <laughs> or I was tempted to, or I had an opportunity to share the gospel, and then I chickened out. I don't want to say I was chicken. Or, or I, I yelled at my kids. I don't want to yelled at my kids. Maybe I can say I worried about something. Worry is kind of a safe sin. That's a, that's a safe one to admit, right? So we'll all talk about how we worried this past week. What about greed or lust or lying or stealing? Because we were tempted by that stuff this past week. I don't want to admit that. But faith cannot exist apart from admitting Weakness, like you can't be born again until you admit you're deserving of the wrath of God. So if we're ever going to live by faith, we must acknowledge weakness. Do you, do you recognize when you need patience, but you just go, I don't have patience. I don't have the kindness. I don't have the love. I cannot forgive that person. Had it up to here. It admits I'm weak. Or you go, Yeah, I knew I was weak. I just did my best. And I, I, did, I, I was as nice as I could be. I mean, God only wants me to be my best, right? Wrong. That's a totally unbiblical thought that God just wants you to do your best. No, God wants you to live how? By faith. By, by, by acknowledging I'm weak, but believing that Christ is in me. And what's that tell me? That Christ is in me and he is infinitely strong. You see, we may be crickets when we talk about faith this past week, not because we didn't recognize we were weak, but because nowhere did we go beyond our capacity. Not once were we more patient than what we felt. Not once were we more loving than how we felt. Not once were we more kind than we wanted to be. We simply lived according to what seemed good to us, to what we felt like we could do, and then we stopped. So where'd we live by faith? Well, nowhere. I was as nice as I could be. I was as kind as I could be to that person. Faith admits weakness, and then believes that Christ is in me, and he is loving, and he is forgiving, and he is strong, and he is patience, and he is peace. He's infinitely strong. And so, 
what do I do? By faith. Because faith is not just intellectual action, intellectual belief. Faith is, what do I do? (laughs) By faith, I do what he says. I love, I forgive, I endure. I'm patient in the confidence that he'll do as he promised. You see, I don't feel it, but I'll do it. Why? Do you remember the picture, the image two weeks ago? The sailboat and the island? It was out of the line of sight. And what does faith do if it's trying to get to the island? It says, I can't see it, but the map, the map shows me, it tells me it's there, so I sail in that direction, regardless of what I can see. I can't forgive them. I, it, it, you know why people, will, I won't forgive. I can't forgive them. It won't work. I don't need to share the gospel with them. They'll never believe. I can't see it. So I don't do it. It's, I believe that I can't, but I believe that he can, and therefore I step in. I do in the confidence that he'll do as he promised. And so now I love beyond what I can love. And I'm patient beyond my own patience. And I'm kind beyond deserving. And I forgive even though they'll never change or may never change. You see, our our life should be filled with faith stories. Not a single faith story only, but a single faith story that begins daily faith stories of admitting my weakness, believing in his strength, and therefore doing in the confidence that he'll do. So if you, I've asked you a number of times, have you trusted him to be savior? Many of you would say, yes. Don't distance yourself from this, this teaching. Because you recognize, wow, on a day-to-day basis, my faith is often absent. And faith is measured not in size, but in attendance, present or absent. My faith has been absent. I can't think of a single time this past week where I actually did anything by faith. I just lived according to my strength. Or I don't want to admit where I'm weak. So there's absence of faith for all of us, isn't there? How does God speak to Cain, who demonstrated no faith? This is is powerful to me. God goes to Cain. He says, why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? What's that mean, do well? If you will, by faith. If you will live by faith, will your countenance be lifted up? Will you not be accepted? 
And if you do not do well, if you continue not to exercise faith, sin is crouching at the door and it's a desire for you, but you must master it. You see, why is it that people in the church who have been born again are getting ruined by sin? Because they have a story of faith, but not a life of faith. And sin's not just crouching, sin is wreaking havoc in your home and in your life. Because faith is absent, not present. God mercifully invites you this morning to repent. If you've never trusted him to be born again, he invites you, repent of your unwillingness to admit. Repent of your unwillingness to believe. Repent of your unwillingness to receive. And if you have that faith story, he invites you to repent of your absent faith in the dailiness of life. I want to invite the men to come forward and we're into just very briefly but take the Lord's Supper and here's why because the bread and the cup are the reminder that it is the death burial and resurrection of Jesus and only that by which we can be born again made righteous and live righteously and so we want to and the men can go ahead and pass We want to take these elements to remember that Christ is our life. Jesus is our life. And as they're passing, we're going to proclaim in song the gospel. Listen, think about what you sing. You're going to proclaim you're guilty. You're going to proclaim you believe in what Christ has done. And you're going to proclaim not just a single faith, but a story a lifelong story of faith. Let's declare it together, and then I'll lead us in taking the Lord's Supper together. I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy and life Had led me to the grave I had no hope that you would own A rebel to your will And if you had not loved me first I would refuse you still But as I ran my hellbound race Indifferent to the cost You looked upon my helpless state And led me to the cross And I beheld God's love displayed, you suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. Now all I know is grace. Hallelujah.
so the strength to follow your commands could never come from me. Oh, Father, use my ransom life in any way you choose. Oh, Father, use my ransom life in any way you choose. Oh, Father, use my ransom life in any way you choose. And let my song forever be my only boast is you. Would you stand and sing that with us? the elements there in your hand, would you repeat this scripture after me? I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Jesus, you are my life. Let's take together. Father, as we take the bread and we drink the cup, we rejoice in our Savior and our enabler. We've been justified by his death. How much more would we be saved by his life? Would you grow us, Father, that we would be people of faith more? That each and every day we would, in those moments, admit our weakness, believe in you, our Savior and our provider and live out you, Lord Jesus, who live within us. 
that it would be to the praise of your glory and the fullness of our joy. We humbly submit ourselves to you again. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm blessed. Thanks for being here.